Hey everyone, welcome to Orange Crushing It, a weekly series dedicated to high drive, passionate and motivated individuals. I'm your host, Frank Clark, President and CEO of The Mr. Orange. This show is a weekly dose of business, life and personal development principles geared toward bringing out the adrenaline junkie and overachiever in each and every one of you. As a seasoned entrepreneur of over five companies producing hundreds of millions in revenue, I'm going to personally be sharing my stories of success and, of course, my life-defining massive (laughs) screw-ups, as well as featuring inspiring guests, business leaders, athletes, thrill-seekers who just truly want to walk their talk and make life happen. Stick around, and let's get crushing. Hey, welcome everybody to Orange Crushing It. My name is Frank Clark. I'm the CEO of The Mr. Orange, and it's an exciting day today. And why is it an exciting day? Because we're six feet above the ground. That's why it's an exciting day. Any day we're alive, any day we're breathing, any day we're thankful, any day we're grateful, any day we got my all my limbs, you know, whatever, I, you know, I'm happy, I'm alive. It's a great day. But it's also a great day when I get to interview cool people, which is pretty much every day. <laughs> so... And today I have a really cool guy. He's a good friend of mine. His name is Rick Starr. And I, every time I hear it say his name, I just kind of want to, like I hear the Prince song playing in the background, Baby, I'm a Star. <laughs> Rick is a serial entrepreneur and family business owner. He started working at the age of 13. That must be a Boston thing because, you know, I started at eight. He started at 13. Up in the Northeast, man, we get going after it early. And so he started working at 13, hasn't stopped creating and disrupting everything he touches. He lost everything, lost everything and put his family in millions of dollars of debt. I got to definitely ask him about that. Rick climbed out of all of it, though. And throughout the despair and deconstructing his failures, he reframed his life's work. And in 18 months later, just 18 months later, he had created seven new companies. Okay, you know, some people don't create any companies. This guy's creating seven of them in 18 months. And he actually got somebody to pay him to take on $18 million of income producing properties off their hands. I don't, you know, I don't know if you're the average listener or anybody, but I'm telling you, somebody's going to pay me to take $18 million of their properties. Where do I sign up for that? Right? It's got to be one of those, huh? Kind of moments. Really? Okay. <laughs> Anyways, this is part of Rick Starr's legacy here. He lives in Florida like myself with his wife and three kids. And the guy is grateful to every single day he's on the planet. As Why wouldn't he be? He's a cool guy. Rick, welcome to Orange Crushing It. Frank, it is awesome to be here, sir. It is great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Well, of course, man. And you're a Boston guy. So, you know, of course I have to have you on. I got ripped for that yesterday on a call. So I'm, I'm, glad, to be, I'm glad to be in good company today. Well, that's okay. As long as we pronounce your name right, Rick Star, Frank Clark, we all know yeah. where we're coming from. And by the way, Cam let us down last night. He did let us down, and, and uh, I, he pretty much let us down this season. That was pretty ugly. That was pretty ugly. <laughs> yep. And considering this is a podcast and it's not date stamped or anything else, just know that Cam let us down. Anybody who's listening probably going, oh, that could be any day. <laughs> well, it could only be any day in 2020. <laughs> Carolina Panthers are going, yeah, we, we know that. We know that story. All right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Anyways, Rick, again, workaholics at an early age, right? Uh, what did you do at 13? What were you doing at 13 years old? Uh, back then, we owned car dealerships. We still own car dealerships. So I was stocking and selling parts at 13 years old on the counter. Really? So this is a family yeah. kind of car business. Yeah. What kind of cars? You yeah. Sell? Yeah. I'll give you a little history. My dad is a, also a serial entrepreneur and got his first Toyota dealership at the ripe old age of 22 years old. And 
yeah, it was a, a new franchise. He, he bought what was an old hot dog stand and started selling servicing Toyotas out of it as a new franchise owner. And wow. when he was in his early twenties, so yeah, he owned car dealerships. We sold the last ones in 2007, uh, just before the market crashed. So we got out, you know, at the right time and he had started doing entertainment businesses, movie theaters specifically a few years earlier than that. So I think in 1996 or seven, he opened his first movie theater with a friend of his and got himself into the entertainment business. And so, yeah, I, I've worked in the car dealerships all the way up in, from when I was 13, which, you know, to date myself would have been in 1988, all the way through until 2007. So almost, you know, just a long time. I was there a long time, 20, <laughs> 20 years. We're, we're all doing the math in our head. Yeah, that would be like 19 yeah. years. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. So you always worked in the car business. And then did you follow your dad into the movie business? I know you, that's you know a big part of your history as well. I did. Yeah. At the time when we sold the, when we sold off the last car dealership, we, he had already entered into an agreement to build a third location for his movie theater business. And so in doing that, he was going to need a little extra help. And, and I had been running the dealerships for since I got out of college in, in 1998, I actually took one over as a general manager in, in 1999. And so I'd been running them for eight years and running his, you know, operations and, and building his businesses and buying and selling locations. And I'd done a lot of stuff for him. So, so yeah, he, he said he wanted me to come into the theater business. He said it is nowhere near paced like the car business, which he couldn't have been more right. And, and so, yeah, I, I joined them on the theater side. To me, that's like, that's an incredible switch of industries. You know, it's like, I can see, okay, I went to the car business, then we were in the funding business, then we were in the spare parts business, then we were in the travel business, and like some things that's synergistic. I'm in a car business, I'm going to go to the movie, I'm going to buy movie theaters. How does one like make that kind of transition? Well, it's retail, right? They're both retail. Yeah. So it's just a different level of retail. And one of his favorite things to, to say is that, you know, in, in the car business, if you make a customer angry, it could cost you 40000 to $100,000 to fix the problem. In the movie business, if you make a customer angry, it will take you a bucket of popcorn and a free pass, and they are the happiest person and think you're, you know, just fixed every problem in their world. So the, the cost of your problems goes way, way down. And it's a great way to do business. Now, it's similar to the car industry is that it's, it's essentially a franchise system without it being a franchise system, right? Like car dealerships, especially new car dealerships, you're, you enter into a franchise agreement. You don't really own anything, right? You own the building a lot of times and you own the inventory, but you don't own the rights to the vehicles. You don't make your own product. It all comes in from somebody else that's designed it and made it and done everything else very similar to the movie theater business, except the frequency of product is different. I mean, in the movie industry, you get new product every week, right? right? So, and, and they, you know, similar to car business, they do all the marketing for you or up until really last year. And, and certainly this year, the studios have done all the marketing for us. So, so in the movie theater business, unlike the car business, we never really even had to market or advertise or do anything. I mean, it's, it was that easy. If you were good at what you did, providing good service, kept your building clean, made people happy when they showed up, they just kept coming. And, wow. and that was all the way up until this year. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, obviously, the movie industry has taken some massive hits, especially the theaters. Still not open, a lot of them. Still not producing movies right now, television shows. It's scarce, you know. It's, it's a very interesting time we're living in right now. But take me back a little bit. So you're in the movie business with your family. When did you break off and go, you know what? My dad's an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to start doing my, my kind of my own thing here. What was that all? So for the first three years, I was, well, the first two years I was in the theater business, I actually renovated and, and built a new location for mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. So that kind of kept me busy. That was fun. I was doing construction, you know, like I was in on the construction. I was in on the design. I was doing all sorts of things. So kept me really interested. And then about a year after that project ended and that location opened, since the market was so soft and everything, you know, this was in 2008, 2009, you know, the economy was just terrible back then. So we weren't expanding and we just, we basically were just operating the, the locations that we had with no plans of expansion. And I got really bored really fast. So I started doing stuff like day trading, but I never paid enough attention to it. And I just never took the time to really learn it enough. So I did that for like, I don't know, six or eight months. And then I started doing real estate investing. And that was just, wasn't super interesting at that time either because the housing market had just crashed and there was, you know, it was just a, a whole mess. And I, I didn't know what I was doing there either. And so I, I, you know, like any entrepreneur, I said, well, what do you, what do you know? What do you like? And what do you want to get into? And I said, well, what I like is drawing, you know, I love art and I love creating and, and all of those things. Maybe I can come up with something around that. And at the time there was a, a terrible trend in, in the market of people that were putting stick figure families on the backs of their cars. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah it still awful. exists. So oh, it's, yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it's anybody that, anybody that does that shouldn't ever call me. So <laughs> I've seen so, some funny ones though, dude. I've seen some, you know, well, that's, that's what we did. We started making funny ones. <laughs> okay. So we, we started mocking the trend. Like we were the garbage pail kids to stick figure families and yeah. being who I am, that wasn't, that wasn't enough. Right. Like I couldn't, I just couldn't sit there. So we immediately went out and sold some designs to a retail chain, a small retail chain in, in New England. You might even remember Newberry comics. I don't know how long oh, since you've yeah. been up there, but, but oh, yeah, Newberry yeah. comics has been around for a long time. And, so I sold 11 units into Newberry Comics of the sticker that we had designed, which, you know, I don't know if they even sold them or didn't sell them. It didn't really matter. What happened was I started calling Marvel and Warner Brothers for DC Comics and, and all of these companies. I started calling them and saying, hey, we're in Newberry Comics. This is a big trend right now. We're, we're doing it with, we'd like to do it with your licensed characters. What can we do? And so my sister and I built that business from basically selling 11 stickers into a business that did $1.8 million before I, I had to unwind it. Wow. So you, you saw it like, we'll call it an ecosystem merging opportunity and said, hey, I got these ugly stick figures that are making fun of everybody else, which, by the way, I think are epic. I, I, love, I love the stickers that say, you know, my kid beat up your, your honor roll student. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I know that's twisted at some level, but it's funny. It's funny. It is funny. Uh, you know, and, and um, so I, I used to always love that. So you see this like opportunity, you go, okay, I'm doing stick figures and I'm in Newberry Comics, which was kind of edgy, if I remember right, right? And yeah, anything yeah. that was edgy was in Newberry Comics, right? It was all yep. the B side music, it was comic books. It was all that just kind of 
you know, goth, early ska kind of stuff that was. Like, yeah. Nirvana t-shirts and yeah, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. 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 It was, it was cool though. It was a cool place to hang out. They still have and, all that stuff. They still do. Yeah. They still, they didn't, they didn't lose the the brick and mortar business. I don't think, I think they're still kicking around, right? Yeah. They're still around. Yeah. And they had that, like their logo was like some looked up some, like some fucked up kid's face was all banged up. Right. That's still their logo. It was was like a doodle, like a scribble doodle. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Very cool. So you look at this and you go, Hey, I think Marvel will want to have, what kind of stickers were you promoting with those guys? Yeah. We were just saying like, Hey, we're going to make it with your characters. Right. So I'm going to make a Spider-Man family or I'm going to make a Superman family or I'm going to make a this, this whatever family. Right. And, and so we went out and Marvel said, yeah, we love it, but we've got somebody in development on that. And Lucasfilm for at the time was still separate from Disney as was Marvel at the time. And so we said, well, uh, okay, so we can't get those two. Who else can we call? So we called Warner brothers and said, can we do this with, with DC comics? And they said, yeah, absolutely. So we called Fox and they said, can I do this with Simpsons and family guy? And they said, yeah. Absolutely. And so we called a couple others. We had wanted to do Walking Dead and a couple, uh, a couple others that, that drove us to some other licensors, licensors. And then we ended up with a Ted license. Remember the movie Ted? I mean, that's a Boston movie. If you've oh, yeah. ever seen a Boston movie. So, yeah, absolutely. yeah. So we ended up, yeah, we ended up with a Ted license and in getting the Ted license, we made a peeing Ted decal. Like you used to see the peeing Calvin's Right. all over the place. You know, right. they, none of those were ever licensed. They were just, they used the character and, and made a, a bunch of those stickers. So we made one of a peeing teddy bear and we sold it into Spencer gifts mm-hmm. and that was it. We took off from there. Like, I mean, it, it, we went from doing literally $28 in sales in our, in our first year to doing over a hundred thousand dollars in decals in our second year. And then it just, it doubled in sales every year. Every single year, we just doubled in sales. And so, which was great until you start dealing with China. And once we started manufacturing in China and our timelines changed and the money was out for so long, we were outselling our cash. And every time we outsold our cash, we had to go and borrow really expensive money. And it just, it, it, that's where it, it turned for the worse, right? We, we went out and grabbed whatever cash we could get to fill these POs and take on these bigger accounts and do all these things. And the cash was out longer and longer. And it just, uh, a- after a while, it was just untenable where you were always hanging on that next PO in order to make it. And one day I just said, I can't wait on the next PO anymore yeah. and decided, decided to kill it. Cause I said, I've either got to go out and raise some serious money or I've got to kill this thing. And I couldn't do it anymore. My heart wasn't in it anymore. It was killing me. It was like, you know, between my wife is the most amazing woman on the planet and she's so supportive. And, you know, even her, she's like, so you've got to do something because you are just miserable all the time. And it's showing in the kids and, you know, the kids see it. And, and I just couldn't have that. So I, I just unwound it and said, I'm going to saddle myself with a buttload of debt and it's going to really, really sting, but I got to kill this thing. So yeah, I did. And, and I'll tell you, you know, first and foremost, it takes a lot of guts to start a business. Right. And, and especially when you see something that's, man, it's just trending. And I got Warner brothers and I got Fox, I got Fox on board here. Right. With family guy. And then I got a motion picture, you know, a pretty cool motion picture with the movie, Ted, the teddy bears, and I'm kicking ass. And you know, the, the orders are starting to come in and like any business, right. It's so critical to pay attention to your cash flow. I, I, you know, I've run six different companies that I've owned 
And it, that's, that's the death knell, man. When you take your, your foot off the gas, when it comes to your cash flow, kind of like, well, you know, I, I'll borrow from Peter to pay Paul, and then I'll borrow from this to pay that. And you, you play that chase game. And like I said, eventually it's a drug too. It can be very addicting and yet it catches up to you and eventually it becomes your demise, right? Unless you, unless you, you keep it on. Yeah, on absolutely. You start doing stupid, you start making dumb decisions. Like, you telling yourself stories like, oh, well, most businesses fail, you know, before they get seven years old. And I'm like, well, all I need to do is continue to stretch this thing out until I get to, to year seven. And then all of a sudden it's like, woo, we're just going to be swimming in it. Right. But that, right. that's not, not really how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The money fairy shows up on year seven. That didn't happen to me, by the way. Yeah. I just, I don't yeah. know. But so <laughs> no. if it's supposed to happen, if you're out there, you know, money fairy, you owe me, man. You owe me for many years. Okay. You're supposed to be here. But, yeah. but Rick, you know, here's the tough thing. Okay. I've done, I've been in business with my family, not invested in my business, but as employees. And even that's challenging. Okay. I mean, I had, a, you know, a serious fallout with one of them at one point, you know, and, and it causes a major riff in the family and there's distance and there's anxiety and there's, oh, I'm not coming to you place at Thanksgiving and, you know, all of that. Yep. And yet there's still a lot of family businesses that are crazy good, you know, manage it, the, the situation really, really well. You know, somebody came to you and said, hey, I don't got this great business idea, Rick, and me and my sister are going to do this and my dad's going to fund it. And here's what, what, what it looks like. What's your advice to people starting a business and going, I'm doing it with my family? My advice is if they are willing to lose every dollar of what they put in, then do it. If they are not able or willing to lose every single penny, don't even start it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to agree with you on that one because, you know, and again, if, if people put in their retirement money, you know, or things that they can't afford to lose. Yeah. That's how really how you have to look at a business too. Right. I mean, when you look at a company and you look at, okay, this is, I'm going to have skin in the game and I'm all in. You know, I'm all in. I mean, I, I've so many people come to me and go, hey, Frank, will you invest in my company, invest in my company? And I'm like, well, I don't know. You have a house that's got as, as much money in equity in your house as you want me to put into your company. You're willing to give me 50% of your business for the equity you have in your house. Why don't you just take out an equity loan in your house? Or, oh, I wouldn't do that. Right. You don't, you don't believe in your own business. And dude, you have the money here at 3%, 5%, whatever it is. Why would, you, why would you borrow from me and give away half your company? I don't know, but it's, it's amazing to me the dynamic of family in a business. And again, as it unravels, then it gets even nastier and uglier, right? And so as it's all falling apart, what do you do to, to rectify the family unit to go, hey, okay, this was a mistake. And it's, all, it's all individual, right? You've got to yeah. go to each one of them and you, you have to deal with each one individually. My sister and I haven't spoken in almost two years, which, you know, she and her husband and my wife and I, we were really very close. I'm, I'm the godfather for her daughter, right? So, you know, it was, it's, it's, it's crushing, you know, it's very, it's very, you, you, you always think like, you know, they're family, like they're going to always be my family, but they're not necessarily like people just don't react to a loss, like a significant loss, the way you expect them to. And even if it's money, which is totally replaceable, right? I mean, money, you, you can always make more money. It's completely, you know, you just never can gauge how somebody's going to going to act or react to something, a situation that like that. Now in stark contrast to that, 
my father was extremely supportive, right? So my sister had a little bit of money in, not a, not a ton, but but a lot for her. And my father had his businesses cross collateralized against what we were building. So, you know, he's, he's actually put at risk his other businesses, which again, I would not suggest anybody ever do that because if it comes down, it's, it's a huge, like, it's just a huge deal to unwind it all the right way to make sure that there's no ill effect against the properties and the other things that are, that are cross collateralized and personal guarantees and all those things. Like it's really tricky to unwind it and make sure that you come out on the other end. Okay. And it takes a long time and you're living in it for a long period of time. And it's just, it's not fun. But, but again, he and, and my mom also were, were so supportive. Like you made all the right decisions. This was a huge, you know, learning thing, figure out what you're going to do to make it right. And that's, that's really all they said. And I did. Well, and, and that's fantastic. It's great to have that kind of family support. It's great to have support from anybody, right? And to learn mm-hmm. from your mistakes and just kind of say, okay, look, at, I'm going to take the wounds, you know, when I, when I fail, which is many times, you know, that's how you get successful, right? You got to take some chances. You're going to be willing to accept the fact that you're going to fail sometimes. And I'm like, hey, you want to bury the hatchet, bury it right in my head. Just put it right there between my eyes and then let's move on. Just let's, right. you know, let's, let's make it so that we want to, you know, have a great relationship and move on. So, I hope you rectify things with your sister. I hope that that works out, you know, because in the big picture of things, it's all just stuff, right? We don't have a ton of times on the planet. We're here for a good time, not a long time. And so whatever it takes to rectify, forgiveness is giving up all hope for a better past. So we can never change the past. We can only deal with the future and the present. So I hope it works out for you. I appreciate that. Yeah, my pleasure. And so what are you doing now? I, I notice on, you know, you can't see this unless we throw this up on YouTube, but for a podcast, Rick's got... Uh, the number five at the top of his green screen here with all kinds of different little gaming and esports and what's happening now with the, the future of Rick star. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, you mentioned in the intro that there were, you know, I, seven or eight businesses that I've started in the interim and, and six of those are in gaming and esports. So for those of you who aren't familiar or don't know what esports are or have heard it, but not really sure what it actually means or what it is, esports is simply video games that are competitive. You play competitively in a video game and you play, you know, for tournaments or prizes or whatever you play for, but you're competitively playing in a, in an organized event that is esports. So the interesting thing about esports is that it was built from the top down. So if you think of like baseball, right, it, it starts, you start at Little League, then you move on to, you know, maybe American Legion, then you get into high school. And then, you know, you're, there's a system to, that builds you all the way up through baseball to where you could potentially play in college or you could play in, in the minor league systems and then you could go pro. And then there's all sorts of ways to play. And even in retirement, or if you don't play, you can still come back and you can play organized softball leagues or co-ed softball leagues or keg leagues or all sorts of stuff. But baseball spans spans a lifetime, right? I mean, you, you've got an entire thing. So esports was created essentially by the publishers, the game publishers that make the games, right? And these are companies that in a lot of cases are making billions of dollars a year. And so they said, hey, listen, our game's really popular. People like playing it competitively against each other. Why don't we just build a professional league and we'll start there? Mm-hmm. So they built the pros before they built anything below it. And there's, there's nothing there. It's, it's air underneath it. It's all online competitive gaming, online play, 
there's nothing where you can actually go or, or very few, or it has to be locally organized, but there's really no competitions out there where you could just show up in your local community, sign up and say, Hey, listen, I love call of duty. Like I'd love to play in a call of duty league, or I love, you know, Mario Kart. I'd love to play Mario Kart against a group of people like every week. There's just nothing there. There's nothing to do that with. And so we're, we're starting there. We're, we're building out local leagues and we're utilizing existing infrastructure to keep our capital costs down. So we're using movie theaters, which plays right into, you know, my family business, my dad's business. So we're going to use movie theaters and we're going to bring competitive leagues. Actually, our first test is next week, our beta test. And we're, we're not, it's not only my locations, but we've also included other, other theater owners as well that wanted to include their locations. And, you know, we, we are already committed to over 300 locations wow. that want to participate. And the thought is, is that we'll be active in over a thousand locations by the end of next year. That's fantastic. And, you know, especially in this time in COVID, right? People are pivoting and transitioning. That's an unbelievably great idea because let's face it, gaming is just incredible addiction. That's why I don't do it anymore. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, that Call of Duty or Madden, you know, you just get, you get cranked on it. But yeah, you see these kids, I mean, there's like shows on YouTube of these kids that are gamers and they are, and they're, they're making some serious coin too. The sponsorships and everything else with this thing is unbelievable. So here you got theaters, you socially distance everybody from apart, right? They're, they're more than six feet apart. They don't have to be. They can be anywhere, right? It's, they can be online and be right. playing this stuff, right? It's a fantastic idea. Fantastic idea. So again, Rick, innovating, <laughs> looking at the cool side of stuff and jumping on it. That's fantastic. Hey, I do want to come back to this story though. After you created the seven companies and then you had somebody pay you, pay you to take an $18 million of income property. How did that happen? Yeah. So mainly because, well, they were in trouble before COVID, right? So when, when COVID happened, my theater company is just filled with pros. We've, you know, most of my senior leadership at the company has been with us for 15 years. They're absolute innovators, creators. They're just amazing, amazing people. And we have a lot of industry knowledge, but the, the theater industry is, is dominated by mainly three players in the U.S. There's AMC, there's Regal, and there's Cinemark. And outside of that, they're all mostly locally owned or you know, regional chains that are privately owned. And, and they're called, generally called independents. Mm -hmm. So you have the three majors, and then you have the independents. And the independents are a majority, they're, they're a big share of the industry. I wouldn't say they're the majority of the industry, but they're a big share of the industry. And so a lot of them are hurting because they can't go out and raise half a billion dollars when COVID hits, right? And without the government support, you know, we got the PPP, most theaters qualified for PPP. But after that, there's been nothing and we're still essentially closed, right? Because the studios haven't given us any products. So we had started a consulting arm for independence because there wasn't one really out there that existed in order to help independence get through this. And so we just started anytime we saw a notification that a company was filing for bankruptcy, a company had closed or had mentioned they were going to close permanently. Somebody mentioned that they were struggling, anything like that. We reached out and we said, Hey, you know, I don't know that we can help you, but we want to help you. So let us know what we can do. And we, we got in a conversation with this group and they owned, they owned three locations and they had filed for a reorg bankruptcy and 
they weren't sure they were going to make it through. And, and their part of their reorganization strategy was they had wanted to sell the three locations. And from the get go, I said, well, you know, if we can buy them for the right price, we will buy them. Right. But it's, it's very difficult for us to go in, in this environment, not knowing when the end is coming or whether theaters will recover the way that other businesses hopefully will recover once this is all over. You know, we don't know based on the studio reactions and how all, everything's moving to streaming and all of these things. We just don't know where we're going to be on the back end of this. Right. So, so I said, well, let's, let's just keep the conversation going. Let's keep an open mind. Think about potentially us taking these over as a management deal temporarily until we can figure out a way to buy it and see if that works for you. So another month went by, we just were talking and chatting. They were still lowering the price, trying to get us to buy. They couldn't get anywhere near as low as what we wanted to buy it for. And finally, the court said, you need to make a decision as to what you're going to do. And they came back to me and they said, hey, listen, we were thinking that we'd like to, you know, and, and this could be sound out of the box for you, but what if we did a management agreement? And I said, huh, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. Right. And, and they came back to me with that. And I said, as we started talking to the ownership, the folks, a lot of times the theaters, the operating company is owned separately than the properties. Okay. And, and there's a landlord situation. So we, I said, well, that's fine. Let's talk about that. But we also need to talk to the landlords because, you know, we aren't going to come in to a management opportunity unless we can buy out the properties at some point. We're going to want to own the, the real estate as well. And so they set up the calls and, and got us further and further down the road. And I said, this is terrific. Let's, let's do this. We will sign a management agreement. You will pay us every year for the next three years to manage your companies for you on a monthly basis. And we'll get a percentage of the profit, operating profit and net profit. And as a bonus, and at the end of those three years or before those three years, we're going to want a lease option on all three properties and once we fix your company, we're going to want to exercise those lease options and own the properties. And they said, okay. So they're essentially paying us to buy their $18 million revenue generating business and their probably $30 million worth of properties. Wow. Wow. That's, that's epic. I mean, yeah, like I said, and I'm sure there's a great industry in this. And I, I might be sounding like the total naive kind of guy on this or neophyte when it comes to this industry. But I look at that and I go, man, that's incredible. Well, it's incredible management skills that your team has because nobody's going to walk in there and, and just accept it on face value, right? You actually right. have to be able to prove that you can turn it around so you can somebody's going to pay you to take away this debt and ease their minds, right? And again, being somebody that was in debt, right, and had to fight his way out of that. I've been there, you know, when there's serious, I had some legal situations that cost me a lot of money to have to defend. And I just remember, you know, when you're in this level of, of debt and you're in this level of fear and you're in, I mean, people will do almost anything just to get that removed from that. People will do more to avoid pain than they will to gain pleasure, right? Absolutely. So, you know, Absolutely. Well, Rick, that's amazing. And I love the fact, I love how you're transitioning everything here and you're just kind of like a bull in a china shop, man. It's like, okay, that didn't work. Let's go do this. That didn't work. Let's go do this. It drives some, some of my, you know, people crazy, but at the end of the day, they, they love the fact that we're always doing something, we're changing, we're, we're shifting directions. They're always engaged because yeah. I, I just, I can't stop. I, my mind just goes and I come up with new ideas. And every day I'm coming up with some crazy harebrained idea that one day could turn into, you know, 
some amazing business that generates, you know, tens to hundreds of millions of dollars. And I'm like, I'll just put that on the shelf for now until I can figure out how to do it. Yeah. And it can be something as simple as stickers on the back of a car. You know, people think that uh, any idea that's out there isn't necessarily a great idea. Oh, it looks like everything else. I mean, this stick is all over cars here in Florida that say salt life on it, right? Mm-hmm. Or that business life is good. All they put is life is good on a hat and a shirt. And then they, their stores are in the mall everywhere. Just life is good. Okay. Something simple becomes something amazing when you manage it well. Yeah. The, the difference is message, right? I mean, yeah. it, it, it's they're, what they sell is, is lifestyle and, and they sell. And it's the same with us at the movie theaters. And it's the same thing we're, we're doing with the, with the esports, it's you know we're selling happiness, right? It, yeah. We we had a call this morning with a, with an amazing guy that came on and and talked to our entire team, and he said, "You are in the happiness business. Like, go out there and and make people happy." And he you know he he got it dialed in. He knew exactly what we were there to do, and and that's you, as long as you know what you're doing, what you're selling, and why you're there, you right. can make anything happen. You really can. You really can, yeah. Especially being in the happiness business, that's great. Huh? Mm-hmm. Rick, two questions I got for you before we wrap up here. Sure. Again, you're a dad, you're, you're a husband, and you're an entrepreneur, a family guy. Somebody's starting a business. You know, I coach a lot of people that I will call them in the transitional stage of their life. They're 40, 50, 60, whatever it is, whatever year they decide, you know, this is, I need a change. And not usually that change is, happens because there's been a major change in their life. Maybe the kids move away. Okay, now there's the empty nesters. Maybe they got a divorce after they've been married for 20 plus years. They're not used to that. Or they've had some financial devastation, either through the markets and or they've been downsized in a company and have to start something all the way over again. Or they've had some medical condition. And they go, oh, you know what? I was sick, sick, sick. And now all of a sudden I'm healthy again. And I want a new start in my life. New start. And what would you say to somebody that wants to start? Again, we're 40, 50, 55, whatever years old, right? Call it, I, I won't call it midlife because I'm going to list 150. So, first trimester of the life and then deciding to do something else. What is a couple of things you would suggest as far as a new entrepreneur? Make sure you're going to start a company, you want to get involved in starting something new. Two or three things you like, don't ever scrimp on this or just don't mess up on this, these two, two or three things. Yeah, I think the most important thing is, you know, knowing what you love and can you contribute in, in that realm. Right. Right. So, so if you really love, you know, playing bass guitar, is there something that you can do in playing bass guitar that will make you fulfilled and happy and, and you can build a business around. And most people, that's where, that's what stops most people is that first thing is they're like, I just don't get it, but there's definitely people out there making a ton of money playing bass guitar or teaching bass guitar or doing things like supporting bass guitars or whatever. So there's definitely ways to do it. And it's just, it's, do you have the creativity and the drive to do it? I think which is probably the second thing, right? So the first thing is, is really figure out what you love and, and if it's important enough for you to build a business around. The second thing is you have the creativity and the drive and a lot of people don't. It's not easy. Entrepreneurship is not easy. And if, you know, like I took a essentially a $4 million bath, mm-hmm. right? Like, and, I, and I've got to pay that back. It's, it was cross-collateralized. That, it's not like I, I'm just like file bankruptcy and I'm, and I'm done. Like that, a lot of that money has to get paid and, sure. and it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm working on settlements and all sorts of things trying to figure out how to get it paid. And, and I will, and I, you know, with, between these other businesses that I've created and stuff like that, but it, it also takes you a lot and you have to be really willing to fail. Yeah. 
And so if, if you are willing and, and able to fail, learn, and, and fix it, that's most of entrepreneurship. You have to be willing to fail. And so many people just aren't. Well, so many people look at failing as a failure. And I right. look at it differently. And I'm sure you do as well. That failing is a lesson. Okay. And, and, and you're going to make mistakes. doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean it's total devastation. You expect the best, you plan for the worst, and you go after it. And you got to have the drive. I mean, an entrepreneur, I've heard a definition of an entrepreneur is somebody who will work 100 hours a week for the sheer pleasure of never working 40 for somebody else. But if you think it's not 100 hours, don't get into the game because it is hustle and grind from the get-go until it's not. Until It's hustle and grind until it becomes ease and flow. That's my credo on it. That's part of the Orange Nation. We're, we're all about driven, you know, all about making stuff happen. But the, eventually at some point, you know, when you scale your business, you run it great, you have a great team, great culture. That's when you can take your foot maybe off the gas a little bit and get your team to run things. And that's where the ease and grace and flow comes in at that point. At least on that business, right? Right, on that business. You're, so you go start you're another one. You're jumping into the next one. Right? Yeah, so you're, so you're doing more, another oh. one. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. There's, not, there's no adrenaline junkie here. Now I got to go do something else. This is making me money. It's easy. Hey, Rick, when I met you, okay, every single day, uh, we were at a seminar and I remember meeting you and every single day you had some superhero or Marvel comic book character on a shirt. <laughs> every single day. Okay. You did. Okay. Well, if you're only relinquished to one superhero cartoon, whatever, you have to wear different varieties, okay? Right. There's one character. Who is it? Who's your favorite? Aquaman. Aquaman. Why Aquaman? Well, Aquaman is often misunderstood and maligned for being a guy that talks to fish, and yes. he, he is much more than that, right? He's the king of the seas. He's, he's the king of Atlantis and, and controls and rules the seas. He's a, he's a god. Uh, and okay. being being misunderstood, but understanding your power, yeah, is is something that resonates with me, and has since I was a kid. I've loved him since I was a kid. Everybody else in the in the Justice League was, you know, like Superman and Batman, and everyone's like, you know, and I, I'm always like, oh, but Aquaman, and everyone's like, get away, get away from me talking about Aquaman. What's wrong with you? But yeah, no, I'm fascinated by by a character like that that can not worry about what other people think. Right. Because it's so important to not worry about what anybody else thinks right. and, and go out there and just be a badass and do your thing. And it doesn't matter to you if anybody cares or anybody talks bad about you or does any, like none of that matters because you just go out there and you be a badass every day. And, badass. and yeah, that's what I love. <laughs> okay. We're six years old. We've got our action figures. You got your Aquaman. I'm telling you, my, my action figure is Superman, partly because his name's Clark Kent. Okay, so I got a little of that Superman in me anyways. Our action figures are doing battle. Who wins? Depends on if we're on land or on sea. Oh. So Superman, Superman draws his power from the sun. So if Aquaman goes deep. Superman's screwed. He's, so that's, he's that's totally screwed. Navy yeah. SEAL action. Okay, go yeah, deep. Draw him in. Draw him in. <laughs> draw him in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what, I think if I was Superman, I'm going to fight Aquaman. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make the world spin so fast that all the water is going to just fly off of it because I have that kind of capability, right? I'm Superman. I can actually turn back you time. You do. Right, so, you so do. Here's, here's yeah. my play against you, Aquaman. Yeah. And, and the 7.7 billion people on the earth as well. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that. Did you? Oh, <laughs> oops. Sorry. 
<laughs> hey, Rick, great conversation. Great uh, time on the, on the show today. I really, truly appreciate you being here. Hey, people that want to get a hold of you, people that want yeah. some of this stick figure, you know, esports action. <laughs> they want to be in the game, right? It's in the game, right? Isn't that the, isn't that the game? It's in the game, right? EA Sports. Yeah, it's in right. the game. It's in the game. And, you know, who wants to be with, who doesn't want to be with a guy whose last name is Star, right? Absolutely, man. Shoot for the stars. So, Rick, how can people get a hold? <laughs> how can people get a hold of you, dude? The best way you can always reach me through my email. My email is rick at five dot gg. If you're not unfamiliar with gaming, dot gg gg is is the code for a good game in gaming. And so, as, as somebody plays a good game, you'll see their feed go gg 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 just everybody hitting them up with the gg. And so that's become an extension. So it's, it's rick at five dot gg and five is spelled out. It's not the is number. It is F-I-V-E dot gg. Is it rick or rick s? Just rick. Well, rick s works as well. Rick, I have both, but I, I use rick as my, as my private one. Okay, cool. We'll reach out to him. Get in the game. And just hang out with this guy. He's fun. He's got some great stories and he's, you know, he'll help you. He'll help you with this, with starting your business. He'll at least show you some of the pitfalls and it's the things you don't see that get you in trouble. And Rick, again, thanks for being on the show. You're amazing. You're a great friend. Thanks, and, man. You know, You're the best, brother. You're the best. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure, bro. Stay inspiring, man. You too. We'll see you. All righty. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orange Crushing It. Hope you're fired up to take on your week with unstoppable energy. Hey, if you like the broadcast, please subscribe, share it with your best buds, and please write a badass review. You can reach me at themrorange.com. Stay inspiring, all.